Welcome to the Movie Overload podcast, <laughs> where we will be covering a hundred movies through the history of cinema, from uh, what a trip to the moon to Parasite, everything yeah. in between, except notably a few people, one of which is Woody Allen. Y- yeah, indeed. Anything Fuck to say? Ke- Fuck w- Woody Allen. Fuck Woody yes. Allen. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and Roman Polanski is another one. Yeah, uh, Dying a Hole. Uh, yeah. Yeah, um, and and also probably some other pedos aren't involved probably. in our yeah, in our uh, little experiment here that we're we're yeah. doing. Hopefully, um, none of them snuck through. No, my I name don't even think we know of Frank Sinatra in any of these. So you don't I don't think so. No, although I have heard he was relatively anti-racist, which is interesting. Uh, people people really are mixed bowls of punch. They have all their problems and all their good stuff. And you just look at it and you're like, yeah, this is gross. Why yeah. would I drink this? Like that one guy from the 30s who was like super left-leaning and he was like a very populist candidate and he was criticizing FDR because he wasn't left enough and whatever. But he was also like extremely authoritarian. And, yeah. and people are like, how, does, how do you reconcile the fact that you're like the only non-racist person in the South in the 30s but unfortunately, you're also authoritarian. That kind of sucks. Hmm. Anyway, that guy got... I don't remember his name. He got assassinated. Oh. So that's fun. Fun, um, yeah. My name is Chicken Carcass, uh, and you are... Uh, uh, rhinoceros Fingers? Are we... Are you can uh, choose okay. whatever name you want. Sure. I'm just Chicken Carcass. Hi. Introduce yourself. Uh, hi, I'm... <laughs> I, I, Should I, I go uh, first? Yeah, you go first. I, I, I'm not sure about Stop the press. doing that. Uh, uh, oh, good grief. Well, um, <laughs> I mean usually, usually Hannah and I just go by our names. So That's true. I'm just Hunter. I'm not creative. Mm-hmm. Not that that's not your real name. I already forgot what it was. Can you say it? My real name is Chicken Carcass. Chicken Carcass. Chicken I change carcass. it. I change my name legally every yeah. time. Every okay. Well, right. not every week, but I change it for every episode somebody's listening to. As we know on this podcast, True. we have to kind of sit here continually to record yeah. every episode, which means anybody listening to our back catalog at this exact moment is also hearing our our uh, guest um, our guest host. Yeah. Hi, I'm I'm guest host. My, my <laughs> name's Aiden. Yeah. Aiden. The guest host. Sorry, can you pronounce that one more time? Friend Aiden. Aiden. The, the Aiden. Get, yeah. Okay. Gotcha. All right, I'll try to get the pronunciation right, but I'm sorry. <laughs> it's pretty hard. Okay, that's something I feel like people should do. <laughs> like, you know, when you have either you have a weird name or if you are from like a different country and mm-hmm. you have whatever, the way people like say your name back to you a few times or like i'll try to i'll try to get that down yeah, yeah. like if we just do that to like really white names more often <laughs> mm-hmm. i feel like that would bring mm-hmm. about equity maybe a little better is that if everybody has to feel awkward sure. when yeah. they say their name be funny everybody ch- chicken carcass car- carcass carcass okay. hunter yeah. hunter oh my gosh <sighs> i was like this is dumb but I was like telling my dad about this yesterday. It was funny because I changed a bunch of my usernames online to just my hunting haulers name. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I then had people in game uh, say that out loud and like in a, a Twitch stream, I was chatting and read it out loud. Mm-hmm. And it was really funny because it was like they were confused. <laughs> it was like they were trying to like figure out and like struggling to parse what it said. And I was like, oh, God. Wait, really? It's so much, I mean, it's, 
it's less weird than your previous one, I but guess, it, I guess yeah. it is a little harder. It's to just, yeah, I think it's just harder for people to look at and be like, what? Yeah. Like, it was weird. I didn't expect it, but people totally saw that and like saying it out loud, it was like weirdly difficult. And I was like, I feel like I should change it. I think that's, that's why people weird, don't right? read out my stuff because like I would usually go by my names, you know, and mm-hmm. they're always so out there that people are like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't weird. want to say anything yeah, there. At least some of the time. That's all. Yeah. Chicken cart kiss. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sure. See, I'm still very insecure online. So I <laughs> I use just a gnome de plume for everything. Yeah. But I ran into the problem where I support some people on Patreon because mm-hmm. Patreon's great. Mm-hmm. And you can help people who you think are doing good things. I don't know if you have a Patreon yet. This Not would be a great time for a plug. Yeah, yeah we, we do. We do, but it's weird. Uh, we haven't added stuff to it yet because we <laughs> haven't really seen anybody express any interest. Yeah. Uh, should express interest. It does exist though. Yeah. We got interest we got some actually quite exciting concepts oh, okay. for for this this Patreon. <laughs> yeah. There's some good tiers. We have some some great ideas. Uh-huh. Um you know, we, eventually we want to get some King Kong merch that says he big monkey. Yeah. <laughs> That would be good. Oh, uh-huh. it would now would be such a good time for that too. I know with the movie coming out. Yeah, uh, and also "Return to Monkey" being Return a meme because we started true. it before that was a meme. <laughs> yeah, true. Uh, good times. Transcended. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, no, we're anyway. we're kind of a big deal despite how small time we are. I Though I found somebody on the internet the other day who had like, like, a hundred subs maybe, mm. oh, yeah. and then over the course <laughs> of like. Maybe a week and a half, they went up to like a hundred thousand. Nice. Wow. And I'm just hoping <laughs> something clicks for us. Yeah. We're not we're not quite as cool as she is, but like we could get there. It's oh. it's gonna just be the parasite episode. You're gonna get to the parasite <laughs> episode. Suddenly, everyone's gonna be watching. Like, sorry, we're at the end of the hundred movies. Yeah. Like, uh, what do we do now? Um, uh, I'll start the new uh, majority report. Uh, I'll call it the minority report. And uh, so original. Yeah, it's gonna be. It's gonna work. Nothing has ever been called that before. Yeah, exactly. People are gonna be like, "Whoa, that's so cool." That's such. Where'd you come up with that name? Uh huh. I'll be like, "I got it from the Majority Report," and that would be surprising. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, okay. Um, I think we're here to talk about fail. Wait, are we? No. Were you going somewhere with that Patreon discussion? Oh, Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah. the thing with the Patreon discussion was just that someone oh. misspelled my name in their credits for over a year, <gasps> and then I popped up in chat once, and they got really offended <laughs> that I didn't tell them. I'm like, I, I'm oh. sorry. I don't, I don't engage with people yeah. online. I, I'd not, I'm not that presumptuous. I'm just here for the ASMR podcast and for what else? Um, Hannah's uh, horror movie experience. Ostensibly. 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 If you Maybe, want. I guess. I'm just here for the so key big monkey stuff. shirts and the shout out saying that we are the, your best friend. Uh, yeah. Right. Oh, man. We'd be so good at shout outs. Honestly, we give you yeah. a shout out if you email us. Like, it's not hard. That's true. Just anyway. a shout out if you hate tweet us. Just go I out into the street right now and say, hey, Movie Overload Podcast, I'd like a shout out. And we'll shout you out. We'll figure it out somehow. It's true. Honestly, it's weird. Like, even people I know in real life haven't been like, you shout me out on your podcast? Yeah. Because they're like, who's listening? 
right yeah. and i'm like you, nobody cares you just, you just fucking wait <laughs> it's okay fucking wait we're having fun yeah we are I'm, I, I'm honestly it's totally worth it even if nobody ever has ever listened to it. which is not even true like we're, we're lucky that some people mm-hmm. care it seems like it, I guess. Uh, thank you if you're one of those people uh which you are <laughs> i guess if you're this they far into an episode <laughs> they clicked play on the episode that's the only reason and we're saying what we're saying it's yeah exactly the case although yeah. it is an episode it, about a film ostensibly about a film of which we have yet to speak the title of true well it's fine because you got the title you know people click on and they know what it is um yeah i so we don't really do titles titles are you deliver the title at the end of the abstract. Mm. That's the format that we're going with. <laughs> Interesting. That's not true. Yeah. So you have to <laughs> write your abstract the exact way. So it ends in the title of the film. Like if I were to do one, I'd be like, no. uh, this movie has been called by many, uh, the, um, Oh, the, so you're going the most, the reveal. most <laughs> Irish of, uh, claymation films. <laughs> It, it is covered in wool from head to toe. It is Sean the Sheep Farmageddon. Whoa. Okay. You know, that's okay. how you do what, it. What I was going to say is we've actually sprinkled all of the words that are in the name of the movie throughout the intro, and you have to listen mm. through the intro and like piece it together. You have yourself. to construct it. It's like a, it's like a code. Um, and I'm actually not sure that's yeah. true in this particular I think we've said most of the words. I think we have think there's maybe probably. One. Yeah. But most likely. Uh, I don't know. I know we're recording this at night time. Oh my gosh, it's so oh, dark yeah. out. Oh, so right. It is rather dark in here. Yeah. But don't could, you dare I turn could, on the lights. I could turn the light on. You'll ruin the mood. I could turn the side light on, so it's like a little bit. I don't like it. I Honestly, the less I can see you guys, uh, the happier I am. Not. I mean, and, and I want to be clear. chicken carcass. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's how I got my name. Um, I changed my yeah. name to Chicken Carcass because I started to look like a chicken carcass partway yeah. through my. I was gonna say gestation period. I don't, <laughs> sound, I don't know what. I, in the womb, you know, in the yeah, yeah, in the womb, you know, That's, <laughs> in the egg. In the your egg. ma was yeah. just walking across the street, got hit by a bus <laughs> carrying a bunch of chickens, and suddenly I got shot a big womb, and I came out like this. Um, you know how chickens oh, have wombs. Dear. So yeah, anyway, this is anyway. what the hell is this uh time that we're having? Basically, all I want to do is pass it over to my 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 dear special guest. Uh uh-huh. a- he said Aiden. A Aiden? Y- yeah. A Aiden. Uh here you go, Aiden, please. Um regale us. Yeah, so Let's begin with the, with with the, my my recounting of the little synopsis that you'd find on the back of the DVD case. Ooh, beautiful, beautiful. In the throes of the Great Depression, two children who alone know where their bankrupting father hid ten thousand dollars are pursued by a charismatic West Virginian preacher with strange tattoos and stranger religious philosophies who seems to have blinded the whole world to his true intentions. That's Ooh. pretty spoopy. It's, it is. It's, what, what movie is it? It's, it's, it's called Night of the Hunter. <gasps> it's, oh my gosh. Like right now, it's your <gasps> night. Whoa. Just like, <laughs> wow. Who's supposed to be the Night of Hunter? 
Yes. The, <laughs> this is the Night of Hunter. The film is Night of the Hunter. Yes. Charles, Layton, uh, Charles Layton's 1955 debut and final feature film. Sad. Whoa. Whoa. This is like another one of those ones that we've covered that's like, how, how did you make a movie that your first time making movie, it gets on this list? So... That's actually an interesting thing. So, time. Uh, Charles Layton was technically like a first-time director for film. However, he had uh, an extensive career as an actor going back uh, to the like nineteen twenty-six. That's actually ridiculous. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah, his acting page is like, super long. Yeah. No. Mm. So he won an Academy Award for Best Actor for The Private Life of Henry the Eighth. Oh. Uh, he was in the like old version of The Hunchback of Notre Dame, not the Disney one. Mm-hmm. He was very dead by the time the Disney <laughs> one came out. Oh. Uh, no, and then he got into directing for the stage, and then we pick up our tale now. So, do you know how he actually got to direct this movie? Yeah. I don't know anything. Actually, I have the story, and I have it memorized for you. Oh, okay. Whoa. So I, this is actually something we planned before Hunter because, oh, you know, it's your special night. We just wanted oh. to make it like a fun recording experience. Thank for you. you. So what happened? <laughs> <laughs> Basically how it happened was he was acting on the set of Rear Window and he he, he was he, he wasn't in, he was on the set he <laughs> okay. was acting on the set he was loitering he was yeah he was playing he was kind of practicing this character that he had made up and hitchcock was like would you fucking stop it and 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 uh-huh. he and he was like not if you don't let me direct the, the next <laughs> film <laughs> and and he was like i got i got the book right here and he, he was holding a Bible upside down. He, oh. he got it wrong. It was not the right book. Uh-oh. He ended up being the inspiration for the, um, the West Virginian pastor, by the way. Whoa. Well, and he was okay. like, do you want me to tell you the story of of, my, my, of the hands? And he, he on one hand, he, he said Charles. And on the other hand, he said Leighton. <laughs> How many fingers did he have? Char- C- a lot. So R- many fingers. No, so actually, yeah, interestingly <laughs> enough, uh, when he first got like offered the, the project, he wasn't intending to direct it. He hmm. was he read uh he read the book, which was something that just struck him, loved it. Uh his his manager uh, knew the person who published uh, David Grubb's original book uh, two years earlier. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I want to play the preacher. And and then they're like, that'd be cool. But also, no studio would pay us to let you be the <laughs> preacher. And so they went around. They tried to get directors. They And then finally, they're just like, you know, you know who's the only person who could direct this film? Mm-hmm. It's you. You're the only <laughs> one. Why do they even bother making it at that point? No, so that's the interesting story behind this uh, novel and everything. The novel was released two years earlier in 53, and it was based off of an old uh, murder trial from uh, 1932? Mm-hmm. 1932, yeah, uh, which was uh, the hanging of Harry Powers, who was not 
a preacher, to the best of my knowledge. Uh, but he was a lonely hearts killer. He sent out mm. like uh, newspaper adverts, uh, trying sending out like, "Hey, I'm a, I'm a lonely romantic. I'm I'm just looking for somebody to love." And then he got people interesting and killed two women and their three children. Oh. And then he got hanged. He did nice. get the hangings. And then years later, David uh, Davis Grubb, the, the author of the book, is like, that's interesting. What if I wrote a book about sexual repression in the 1930s during the Great Depression and uh, made it really good? <laughs> And it, the book has been described as uh, almost essentially a movie already. It's it's written in a very expressionistic, forward-moving way. Uh, the whole sense of the book is forward momentum. It it's written almost like like a movie. I uh, the the book, notably enough. Not told in chronological order. It uses flashbacks extensively to give away, to give up most of the information. Uh, but the book was written in five parts, and the screenwriter that they got to adapt it wrote it into six. And it's one of the famous, uh, it, it's a kind of famous as a screenplay because much like. Citizen Kane, the original screenplay was like, how long was it? No, so this original screenplay was like 250 pages long, I think. Hmm. Uh, That's a long ass movie. That's too long. Yeah, so it was originally when it, if you, okay, yeah, so it's 250 pages long. If you adapted that, the rule of thumb for screenplays, one page, page equals one minute. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the original script would have been four hours and 15 minutes long. Which sounds kind of, I mean, I would not want to watch that, but, you know, if this movie felt like it had enough. It, it's like just yeah. right. It I feels like, like it's... Point. Yeah, like, okay, that's the thing. It, sorry, I don't, I don't want to cut <laughs> you off too <laughs> much. But I like a long film. We know mm-hmm. this. Yeah, sure. But this film felt like a long film in a satisfying mm-hmm. way. But it felt like a long film, even yeah. though it is like ninety-three minutes long, less than half short. the length yeah. of some of the other ones we've covered. Yeah, yeah. which is uh, partially due to the changes in in tone and things throughout. Uh, so, when the film was being made, uh, Charles Layton went out for a week uh, and spent time with Davis Grubb, and they worked on the film together. So, it was a very collaborative process between the directing team and the writing team. And so, uh, the two major, major things that Charles Layton wanted to go for when he went into it is... He looked at the team. He looked at where movies were presently. And he, he described that in, during the silent pictures, he would sit in the theater and he'd see people lean forward in their seat. 
they were like engaged with the film on a way that once talkies came out, he he saw that dissipate. People would lay sit back, lays about on the film. It wasn't captivating and engaging in the way that it used to be. And so during production, they screened every single one of uh, uh, Griffith's films. Oh yeah, Birth of a Nation guy screened all of his films. And those were major inspirations. That that was the look. So the reason that like the movie looks the way it does is because they started using a new experimental film stock called Tri uh, Triex, which uh, created a higher, sharper contrast between the lights and the darks that more closely paralleled the ex- exposure differences in the like old classic pictures but also uh the the film isn't just like uh griffith's old films griffith's old films were naturalistic and it incorporates a lot of elements of german expressionism into it which so uh the cinematographer for the film stanley cortez uh he worked with fritz lang uh so he, he's most famous. He worked. Uh, he was uh, the cinematographer for Magnificent Ambers- Ambersons. Yes, which it looks very much like. Yeah, uh, and so he is one of the most famous cinematographers, just ever. And he also worked with um, Samuel Fuller on his two best movies and Fritz Lang on The Secret Behind the Door. I believe it is, but. The, the the interesting thing about learning about the making of Night of the Hunter is there are so many different versions of the of especially what Charles Layton was as a director because the things that we know ever uh, the studio that they were making the film for uh, get truncated it just pushed it right into production so it had a minuscule pre-production period. So they went in for pre-production uh, and, and they, they didn't have that much time. And then the shooting period itself was only six weeks, hmm. which is in- incredibly short for that time and for today. And so they didn't have time to plan out a lot of things. So every night after shooting, they would get the entire design team together, including the editor and the uh, composer hmm. and they would hold team meetings to like determine what would happen on the next day. They do set drawings, lighting drawings, and it was, it was not a, I mean, it doesn't sound like a smooth process. That sounds pretty challenging. Well, so that's the thing though. At every point in the step, it was a community, like, working together. It wasn't just Charles Layton. Charles Layton, great at working with actors. All of the actors who worked on the film loved him. Robert Mitchum, notoriously difficult actor to work with, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. you hear about it all the time. Hmm. He, like, he got clean for that movie. Like, really? Yeah. He That's was, actually insane. He was great during that movie. The, the only uh, thing that gets brought up is that 
he hated the producer on the film mm -hmm. and hated him more and more. Like their relationship got rockier and rockier as production went on. And at one point he just went out to the parking lot and pissed on his car. <laughs> like, so Ro Robert something, Mitchum, something Robert nice. Mitchum still do. not great to work yeah. with, but that's the only incident. Like he hated the producer and the rest of the time he's a perfect gentleman. He just respected, uh, Charles just so much, man. That's crazy. Yeah, so cool. Mitchum, I have like a small amount to say about Mitchum maybe. Uh, I haven't seen too much of his films, but uh, one of my favorite contemporary directors, Jim Jarmusch, oh, yeah. Yeah. has worked with Robert Mitchum uh, on specifically Dead Man. And he talks about like just how sort of terrifying it was to work with Robert Mitchum because mm -hmm. like not only has he like you know, the reputation of being challenging to work with and whatever, but he's like his agent, everybody who was working with him, uh, his assistant, all these people were like, uh, no, he doesn't actually need to come to set. Like he, he'll, he comes to set for, you know, he'll be there for five minutes. You don't need to see it beforehand. Uh, oh. you, like there, there's, I don't know, all these stories about like how challenging it was just to get to work with him for a, a little bit of time and get something out of him. Um, so it's it's wild to hear that there there's actually somebody that was able to work with him in that way. Yeah. Well, and that's kind of the whole process. So uh the actors uh they stopped at at a point in production they they would like give little notes to Charles Slayton say, "Hey, oh, this this should work. Uh uh what do you think of this?" And he would get so distraught he, he he oh i'm doing it wrong i'm doing it wrong aren't i he was he's was very insecure about like oh you're right you're right I, I'm, I'm doing it wrong i need to fix this and so they just stopped giving him notes on oh. on what they wanted to do because they're like he's doing a fine job we're just hurting him because he he wasn't he didn't have that confidence in his own ability hmm. even though you look at the film uh he didn't actually know anything about how to work the camera he he relied on the cinematographer and so the cinematographer would just show him a shot hey here's the shot just be like i like it i like it. that's good or i change it uh and that's how their process worked it, it was as a director a, a managing and people working sort mm -hmm. of sort of position and so in the actual production period, usually when you make a film and you're like in production, you you shoot things in takes. Right. Mm -hmm. Take one, you, you do this. Uh, they use a different method to try and... He, he said it was to like direct more like a silent film. They started a reel. The reels were 10 minutes long uh, and they just run the reel until they got it. Mm -hmm. So they do a take at the beginning and then they just work through it until they... Uh, had what they wanted to get the scenes in this film aren't that long there aren't that many scenes that are actually lengthy that yeah. that, that they go on that long that's that's the interesting thing it it kind of feels like a series of vignettes at a point where th they're in the candy shop and then they go outside and and they're they're doing i think that's what makes it work so well yeah. though yeah it has this this weird story like chapter book thriller feeling like it, it has a weird combination of a children's book and a like and a thriller 
type novel, I guess, because yeah, there are these, these short little segments of little things that happen. It doesn't give you this like massive amount of information at all times, but it's, it's like, it's, it's just enough to make it feel full, but make it feel fanciful and weird and mm. having like short little segments shot in that very like specific magnificent Ambersons kind of way. Mm. Just, yeah, it makes it have a, just this whole other watching experience. That's, that's very unlike pretty much any other film on the list. Yeah. And I do find that uh, also interesting of like him being somebody who's very like not confident in his own like style or, or if, or if he has a style, like he just was relying so much on everybody else, whatever. Um, because in some of the, the theory I've been reading recently, because I'm a nerd was talking about, well, you know, with the way f- filmmaking is developed nowadays, uh, any, you don't even really need anybody sitting in the director's chair. You can just make films. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically they, I think what he said is, oh, a, ch- a, chim- a chimpanzee could direct a film the film crews know know what they're doing, but what's the difference between uh, a quasi chimpanzee and uh, um, and a director? Is that a pattern is established? Mm. So I find that interesting because he directed one very good film, but according to a lot of the theorists of his day, it would not be con- he would not be considered even a director. Like he he wouldn't nobody would be able to be like ah oh, you know he he directed a good film. They'd be like did he direct it? Uh, yeah, so he never got to direct anything else. Well, and and that's a big part of it. So it's it was a fairly low budget film. It was made for uh, somewhere between uh, four hundred and eight hundred grand at the time, which is about three and a half to seven and a half million dollars today. Okay, uh, which for a studio film, that's that's pretty small. And that was due to the film is not actually shot in West Virginia, where it takes place. Uh, it does look like it's on a stage. Yeah, so. They had a uh, their B team go out and do uh, like st- stock footage shots, shots that they could. They use a lot of uh, rear projection mm-hmm. to create bigger scenes. The entire film, minus those shots, was shot on a uh, film ranch, the studio film ranch for uh, the company, and on a soundstage. And so all of the structures you see are, are built and designed uh, for the film. And that is why a lot of choices were made that seem a bit weird because the the direction that the set de- designer was given was to uh, give the give the audience the eyes of John. A, a, a little boy a, a little boy uh focuses on what he focuses on and doesn't see what what he doesn't see and so uh especially when you get into the town i remember when we were watching this film together uh when ruby goes into the drugstore and gets ice cream in the movie magazine you see the shot and it has the uh the signs like these neon signs above it they're just on a wall and don't seem to really point to anything. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And just yeah, so a little kid is just gonna see the signs and they aren't gonna notice the other things around it because the signs are big and flashy. Yeah. And so huh. it's to give it the feeling. So and and that's a big thing with the feeling. So like th- there's a bunch of weird things that happen as the movie starts off that we don't see in movies anymore. Like uh the first scene where 
we meet the reverend and he's driving in his car. Mm-hmm. Uh, he He's just talking to God and basically describing himself as a character. Mm-hmm. And that's because there hadn't been a character like that before. Hmm. Like y- they went into it and they, they, they're like, he's, he's a preacher, but also he's a serial killer. <laughs> and, the, and there isn't really a, like, the serial killer, like true crime subgenre, is is not alive at this point. Yeah. Like this film, kind of like helped inspire a lot of films that came after it. You had like a couple of silent films. You had Fritz Lang's M, mm-hmm. and and then you had this. Hmm. And so the idea of like a serial killer in the public consciousness is just really like Jack the Ripper, or like those those real happenings that became like folk tales that people would tell. Sure, and so hmm. you have that going in, yeah. But also, you have the score, which this is one of my favorite movie scores, like <laughs> ever. the The reason, one of the reasons why it's so so good, is because the uh, person who's scoring the movie, the composer, was on set throughout in, throughout the entire production, which mm. is unheard of this isn't really done today it's very rare this wasn't done back then but charles layton's biggest thing was just having everyone there and helping him out so that they'd like all be working on this together and and so there are a number of different themes you have like the preacher theme dun 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 which is Mm. is just Big and loud and like old movie melodramatic, leading into like the small town like score, which is very bouncy, very like carefree. It it really feels like I I see the two like tones of this movie as Andy Griffith show and like. Metropolis, like it goes between those kind of feelings. It does, yeah. Hmm. Mm, yeah, that's a, that's actually a very. I I didn't like. I heard you kind of say, "Oh, there's this Andy Griffith segment," and that's totally there. <laughs> but yeah, it. You've I guess you have mentioned Lang a few times already, but it it has Metropolis. Well, it definitely has M vibes. I don't know if you've, mm-hmm. you've seen M. Very very good. Uh, but it, it has this like. Yeah, definitely. The only thing I was really thinking in my head when I was watching the film is like German expressionism, German <laughs> expressionism. It's like it's the it's the lifeblood of the film. But then you you throw on top of it your your I don't know your very um, southern kinds of vibe on top of it your southern evangelical white Christian vibe thing that is almost like when you when you put them next to each other. You could kind of see how scary each one of them are when you, I don't know, when they're next to each other, they're both scary, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and it's someone else talking. I'm finding things in my notes. There's so many notes. <laughs> That's yeah, the fun some... thing about the podcast is that you have the ability to write and write and write and write. And then when it comes time to record, you got to figure out what, what, bits of it actually make sense for the context of the conversation you end mm-hmm. up having, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty fantastic. Yeah, so the screenwriter is Davis Aggie, by the way. Oh, nice. Okay. The, that that was 
he was uh, like really famous as actually a film critic, mm-hmm. uh, and he wrote uh, a couple other screenplays and things. And it's th- the writership, the authorship of the the screenplay here is one of those very contentious authorships. It's like Citizen Kane, but in reverse, where someone came in with a massive script, the director came in, basically rewrote all of it, but in Night of the Hunter's case, he isn't listed as uh, one of the authors. Hmm. Uh, in Orson Welles' case, he just says, hey, I wrote it. And oh, people are like, yeah. but, but didn't Manko wants to do something? And they're like, yeah, he probably did something. <laughs> Uh, it, it's contentious, but there there are some things that are definitely still there from the original script. So the way the original script ended was it you had the last uh, the last shot like Christmas, and then it panned up to the sky. And you saw the stars, and then he described like faces blooming in the like darkness of space, mm-hmm. like a million different children. And that was cut from the script, and it didn't appear in the script anywhere, but somehow it made its way into the opening of the movie. Right, yeah. At I some point, no they decided to add true. that back in, hmm. which is, which is yeah, interesting. That, yeah. uh, another thing, so uh, fun, spicy things about censorship. Uh, censorship. In the burlesque club, when Reverend Harry Powell's... We, we, we first see him, he's driving, stops at a burlesque club, and he, he's, he's sitting there, and his, his right hand with the hate tattoo over the knuckles reaches into the jacket pocket and flips out a switchblade and, like, pokes through his jacket pocket. Mm-hmm. In the script, he reached into his pants pocket and, like, stabbed out from his crotch. <laughs> Wait, really? <laughs> yeah. And then, like, the, the producers looked at him, and they're like, that is way too horny uh, for 1950s America. Wow. Like, we're never going to get away with that. In this case, yeah, I'm glad that got happen. cut, because that's just, that's kind of dumb. That's kind of <laughs> Everything about that, wow. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's uh, amazing. <laughs> Jeez. No. So, they actually, so they had the editor in other censorship news on set for the entire time, but they didn't actually cut anything in the movie except for one scene until it was all shot. What scene? That one scene is the honeymoon scene oh. because they were afraid, hey, so we're still under code right now. Mm. We oh. still have some code restrictions. And so some, some decency code stuff. We're, we want this movie to actually get released and people to see it. So we need to make sure that the censorship board is fine with this, fine with this scene. And so, and so they, they cut it and they they cut that ahead of time and, and sent it out to them. And th- mm. th- they, uh, the, the reason that, so at the time it was still illegal. Uh, well, not illegal, but you couldn't do certain things in film. One right. of those is show a man and a woman in the same bed yeah. at the yeah, same right, time, right, right. which is okay. why, you don't have them get in Why bed she together. Tries to get in bed, and he's like, "Fuck you." Yeah, yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah, and and that whole they have this whole bit where he like reaches out, and she like Shelley Winters like grabs for his hand, and he's mm-hmm. like, ah, "Just close the window." Yeah, 
<laughs> and that 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 was actually improvised on set. Oh, nice. Like, That's good. Fun stuff like, that, like that. that. Oh, that whole movie. That now I have to remember that film, and it was kind of sad, and I felt bad for her. Yeah. But I, oh, I. Like I was obviously I was I was quite vocal when we were watching it. Very negative feelings <laughs> about a lot of the the fe- female roles and etc. Um, but uh, it's all made up for in my mind by um, both the the majestic image, uh, gruesome as it is, of her like sitting in the car under the water was amazing. Oh yeah, and also same. like that one like wide shot of the bedroom when he's like about oh, to kill geez. her, yeah. and it like. <sighs> is so obviously a set but it's like the best thing that i've ever seen in my life pretty and so that's just that's just the uh backdrop and the bed and Mm. lights like (laughs) and they came up with that image and so uh the cinematographer actually you can see like a faint halo of light around her head Mm. to like foreshadow the fact that she's about to die Mm. and when they were shooting that scene uh a famous story from from the production uh the cinematographer was standing there lighting it and charles came up to him and was like hey what are you thinking about he's like uh, thinking about music well what are you thinking about he's like I- i'm thinking of a waltz and he-, he names a specific uh italian waltz and that actually served as the inspiration for uh the theme willis theme in the film which is this waltz uh, this waltz tempo that plays uh, throughout, like, the whole scenes with her and such. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so you have that, and it's it. So, we we can go back in. There are a lot of. I watched through the commentary, uh, the Criterion commentary that they had for this. Nice. Uh, it, in reaction and to like prepare for this. I was, I was curious. I did not realize how much of this film was just put together in post. Mm-hmm. Like they had all of, like the shots with the boat on the river where uh, the like old guy is. Mm. He, he's, he, he lives on that boat on the river. And so they, they have that in the studio. They have the, no. So that was, they have between shots. They switch from a shot that was done in the studio, a uh, B-roll from the second unit that was out shooting stuff in West Virginia, and then they have stuff from the ranch. And then, like, you see a steamboat like crossing behind it, and it's 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 just like composited in. Whoa! Like all of the nice. animal shots on the river, you see like the animal in front of the river. All of those shots are cons- composited in. Huh. Like they, they did the foreground wow. element and the background element and they composited Jeez. in later. Like That's the cool. bunnies, you have like those two bunnies sitting there. They only had one bunny, so they composited <laughs> the same bunny wow. twice. <laughs> That's incredible. That's awesome. Jeez. And the frog one definitely looks I, like that. Yeah. For sure. But it's really in a good way. Like it's a, it it huh. doesn't just kind of look like an effect or something. It it's like stylistically interesting to do it that way. Well, and that's the whole thing with this movie is it overcomes any like budget or technical limitations it had by introducing stylistic elements that like age way better than 
trying to make it look realistic. The Which first is, thing, yeah, yeah, like yeah. why the original King Kong is still somehow magically <laughs> watchable. Yeah, because if you don't try to make it look real, you just try to make it look like good and interesting. Mm-hmm. It it will continue looking good and interesting. The first thing that comes to mind is like the when they are on the river and they stop at the barn and you see a, like a cutout of a house with a window and a bird sitting in it and a cutout of a barn. <laughs> and yeah. that was just on a studio. Like the entire river itself was just in the studio. That's mm-hmm. amazing. And it did have like a small world kind of vibe to yeah. it. Yeah. And, and they did all of it. Like when they, so when they woke up in the morning and they see the the preacher like coming along the horizon. He's like, "Don't you ever sleep?" They they did that through force perspective. They didn't composite it or something. They did it in the studio with force conspe- uh, perspective. They got like uh, a short actor and put him on a like a donkey and had him just <laughs> like ride on against like the wall of the studio. Wow! Huh. Yeah, that's incredible. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. Wow. Cool. Yeah, man, for for a movie that's so it's like still somehow like it's just it it aged so well. It's so stylistically interesting. It doesn't really feel quite like anything any one other thing at least. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, like th- those kinds of composited styles and force perspective and all those mm-hmm. sorts of things. Things I would like to see more in movies, honestly, mm-hmm. that I don't feel like I've seen very often like it's it's the kind of stuff that's definitely been replicated in over the garden wall and mm-hmm. other than that I don't have any experience with it um, yeah but it, but man there should be more of it and it's oh, interesting how yeah. it feels like this movie is if not an accident sort of necessitated by you know limitation in such a way mm-hmm. that it's not like ah oh, this mm-hmm. is just the way that Ch- Charles Layton would make films yeah, yeah. Uh, Reminds me of. Uh, go ahead. Uh, I don't know. Just a small thing that I was thinking. Just talking about uh, just the the sets and the artificiality of it. I guess it was like that was just something that came up with the people that I watched it with. Like it, the thoughts did not come from me, but there was just talk about how like the sort of the fact that it is sort of very obviously on a set a lot of the time, but is still kind of convincing. Like adds to just the kind of dreamy. I don't know, surreal yeah. feeling of a lot of it. Exactly. That, that, like it does end up enhancing the feeling of it overall. Yeah, like, which is which is kind of the difference between Wizard of Oz and this mm-hmm. is that Wizard of Oz was definitely on a set very obviously, but it yeah. felt but it was like trying to be this more expansive world. Yeah. And it it didn't feel it felt like it was trying to hide the fact that it was a set yeah. as much as it could. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that kind of made it harder to get into for me. Mm-hmm. But this being like, it's a set. This the style was yeah. really cool. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, it, it does remind me of. I had this kind of rant about. Um, I think Redbeard. Back in the day. Sorry, because um, I'd heard people say essentially, I don't know the the, the notion of like ah, uh, film can't really be considered an artistic medium in the same way as other ones because. Not only are there so many people involved and whatever, but because there's like all this studio interference and there's all this financial stuff getting in the way, it's not like just painting where you just paint or something. Mm. Um, 
But I don't know how I feel about that because a lot of examples of movies that like do things really crazy, like there are examples of like really crazy cool movies that have big budgets or something, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, but predominantly it's people who are new, people who are trying something new, but but people who are doing those sorts of things because they kind of have to. Uh, I guess another like Redbeard is sort of different because it's, it's the last movie that Kurosawa and Mifune did together, but it, it was plagued with massive studio problems. They spent like so much longer filming it than any other project they'd ever done. And it just became this kind of behemoth that they, even after doing stuff like seven samurai weren't quite capable of doing. And that's what I think made the performances really interesting. That's, all that all that kind of conflict and whatever ends up being an actually like really good driving factor to make something interesting. Um, so I, I guess all I'm saying is the night of the hunter is, is more proof that uh, having limitations doesn't, doesn't make the medium less valuable and, and doesn't make what you're able to do less interesting. Well that, and I think something that's so often overlooked when people talk about film is the collaborative aspect of the medium. Mm-hmm. And the thing that really stood out to me when researching it was how much of a collaborative atmosphere the entire like project was. Like The entire photography team was actually just brought over from another film from the same studio, uh, Black Tuesday. And so they already all knew each other, already knew how to work with each other. And so they were able to move really smoothly. It was shot in six weeks. It wasn't like... A hard shoot is like really easy shoot apart from the f- fact that they'd like sit around drinking all night trying to figure out what they're going to shoot the next day. It was like a, 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 by all accounts like a really smooth environment to work within. And so it, what, one of my pet peeves with, with the, the movie industry as a whole is how the process tends to especially early on like segment people apart like they aren't working together like in the casting process for this movie they didn't have actual auditions Hmm. uh charles just went to these people's houses and just talked with them and they were all really surprised he didn't talk about the film he didn't have them do like readings he just got to know them and if if he thought he liked them and stuff, he's like, yeah, no, they're good for this movie. Like so, uh, Willa, they had a couple people in mind, and at at one point, Grace Kelly, Betty Grables, and Agnes Moorhead were like attached to the part of Willa, hmm. which yes. eventually wound up going to Shelley Winters, who uh, Leighton brought on because she used to be one of his acting students. Oh, interesting. Like, he that's how he found a lot of the people who are in the movie he taught them how to act <laughs> so he knew they were good he's like yeah no i know you. that's huh. cool you're good yeah Interesting. man like okay that's that's it's it's fun to see like all the different weird diverse ways that that people end up making good movies as we've talked about this kind of thing because right you got your like tenno uh dictator kind of mm. director who you know is in charge of every little process involved in the weeds of every little thing you have people who are just just very experimental experimental wanting to try new things and then there are the people who are just like i don't know 
I'm just kind of a good person. I just want to get along. <laughs> like, I, I don't know. Just everybody from John Houston to to Chaplin to, you know, to Leighton. Just, just a vast diversity of, oh, you can get a good product by doing multiple different things. We don't all have to be, like, auteurs with extremely distinctive Wes Anderson-y kind mm-hmm. of styles. And everything needs to go exactly a specific way for it to be considered a good film which is kind of where it feels like American film has gone. Every good American film now, or the ones that get all the Oscar attention or whatever, they, they all, they're all kind of the same film to an extent mm. and their sets feel all the same way. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know that it like, I don't know. Is, is there something kind of lost by the fact that like we don't have quite as many just randomly, absolutely garbage films by people who don't know how to make movies, but somehow got studio funding and also people trying out new ways to make good movies and somehow being successful. Like it's, it's so streamlined, I guess. Yeah. Well, so you, you get those things, you get them, you get your new mutants. They happen. I guess that's true. But we (laughs) don't, because of studio interference normally. We don't really, we we don't. Well, (sighs) I haven't seen it. (laughs) That that's the thing. It's like, what, how much of it is is studio's fault and how much of it is sometimes sometimes it just like you only really see when you're looking back you and you're looking retrospectively at film history it looks very different than it mm. probably did at the time right. like there was a bunch of trash released back then but we don't think about it or know about it because it just didn't live on. We've had enough time for it to filter out yeah. the good stuff. You know? And and now we have a lot of trash. We have yeah. so much trash, right. so much trash. But like, but, who will remember in 30 years? But it's all <laughs> dropped it. straight to VOD on Amazon. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's it's just... Yeah, that's true. That's it, true. It, it isn't getting big theatrical releases because only big blockbusters are getting theatrical releases now. And like occasionally, and some, like some of those aren't even getting them. Yeah, yeah. you know. Yeah. Well, especially now. Yeah. <laughs> so sad. I cry. Man. Uh, the trailer for Godzilla versus Kong and it being like on HBO Max, and I'm like, man, I want to see that in a the theater, but I guess I'm only probably gonna be able to watch it on Max. Yeah. Like I don't think it'll be good, but there's some, like you you gotta watch like a King Kong or a Godzilla. Like you gotta see those yeah. in the theater anyway. Like Must it's a movie be well, good. And this is where that's a good point. <laughs> medium <laughs> might not, if, if something is good enough, yeah, it'd be best to see on a big screen, but it can still like find life afterwards. Mm-hmm. So moving on to like how this movie was released, the studio, uh, they brought this film, the finished film to the studio and they were like, it's too art housey. <laughs> no, like what? Are, okay, what are we supposed to do about that? Uh, and so the producer was like, "Hey, no, so we want to make this like a roadshow sort of thing, uh, like mm-hmm. old, how old musicals were released. They oh. like s- travel this show, this like film from like state to state and get it noticed." But the the distributors had the ultimate say and they were like we don't know what to do with this movie (laughs) it's weird and kind of creepily sexual like it's about the whole movie is like really about repressed sexuality that's one of the major comes up in a few different ways themes yeah like the the reverend 
the reason why he's able to like control people so well is that like everyone in the film wants to fuck Robert Mitchell. Yeah. <laughs> like except for like the the kids and Pearl is still like small child. Yeah. She she's she she doesn't want to fuck him, but she wants him to be her daddy. This <laughs> is a creepy way to put it, but like it yeah. it is literally so. literally what is in the text. Yeah, yes, it's true. Yes. It's true. Sure. Yeah, and, and <laughs> like the whole thing with uh, icy spoon. Yeah. F- fun fact: that <laughs> the old woman, her name is Icy Spoon. Yes, that was so Wait, great. really. Yeah, the, totally. Yeah, who runs the icy? <laughs> I, uh, runs Spoons. the ice cream shop that yeah. Willow works at. Wow. Icy Spoon. She has that whole thing where she's <laughs> so she has the hops for Robert Mitchum. <laughs> totally. Oh yeah. But she's married, so yeah. How she takes that out is by playing matchmaker with this yeah. this woman whose husband just died. Like a week ago. Yep. She's like, no, you need another man. She's my <laughs> least favorite character in this movie. She's like, uh, like she's arguably like as much of a horrible person as Robert Mitchum's character. Like she's, yeah. she's just up there for me. of like somebody who should, I don't hang him. I don't, sorry. That's, a, that's pretty extreme. Don't hang her. Yeah. <laughs> but well, like, geez. Oh. Well, that's, that's part of the uncomfortable thing about, some of this movie is the kind of misogynistic undertones in that apart from Lillian Gish's character, every single female character is either dumb or very easily manipulated. Right. Yeah. Like like Ruby, uh the little girl from the end mm-hmm. who uh just falls in love with Robert Mitchum <laughs> yeah. because she she buys he he buys her ice cream, uh, but also has that weird like subtext to it of like in the book it's explicit but they like kind of bring it up in the film. Uh, like every week she goes down to like the creek and sleeps with a different guy and she's like mm. thirteen. It's 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 weird. Oh. But in the film they actually added so uh, Lillian Gish who plays uh, Caroline, uh, the old woman, angelic, like, savior figure that they meet at the end. Uh, They add this interaction, this part of the interaction between her and Ruby when they, when Ruby comes there and she's like, I've been really bad. I, I met this guy, but I've, I've just, I've been, I've been around the block a few times. And, 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 they added in the part where Lillian Gish is just like, oh, you poor little kid. Yeah. Right. You've just been looking for love the only way you know how. <laughs> and they they add in that redemption arc for so good. Ruby's character. Yeah. Which is, like, I, 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 f- I like a lot of what they did with that. And s- reportedly, one of the reasons that uh, Charles Layton was actually just attached to the script in the way he was, was that, so the themes of sexual repression and everything in the film, uh, an annoyingly uh, underseen fact or piece of information about Charles Layton is that uh, he was at least bi, if not fully gay. Okay. 
uh, his fully gay. <laughs> he uh, he it. was married, but uh, they never had children. And uh, when his wife, who's also an actress, uh, published her memoir, uh, she said she claimed that the reason why they never had children was because he was gay. Uh, from the people he worked with and spent time with at the uh, around the time, they all. Uh, corroborate the fact that he was also interested in men mm-hmm. and in, in his life he started out in a place where he was very sexually repressed and then became kind of sexually insatiable like oh. as as it went as he went on with with his life as it goes as it goes interesting and the reason why robert mitchum was cast in the role of the preacher is because the preacher needed to be sexy because you sell religion through sex appeal. Like hmm. to sell religion, you have to be sexy is, is what uh, Charles said when he was talking about casting. Interesting. That is very interesting. I don't find Robert Mitchum as attractive as everybody else in the world, I guess, but you know, maybe <laughs> works, maybe works for some people. Yeah. Seemingly does. I guess. Yeah. So, uh, I, I want your takes because um, we're we're all raised around Christian religion. Mm-hmm. Um, when you like, how do you think the people at the time received this this movie? <laughs> <laughs> I would assume it felt like kind of an affront, being like, "Who took this?" And I mean, even though he's the bad guy, it's also like, Ooh. "I don't." Yeah, like that's the the problem is from a perspective like maybe a decent perspective it's it's good to call out the way that like you can bundle up religion or Christianity or evangelicalism or whatever and sell like like really terrible stuff within that package. Mm. I feel like it's a good thing to be able to call that out and be like uh all right, uh beware who it is that you're just instantly listening to and yeah. giving all of this power and whatever. However, I don't think a lot of people want to hear that. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, yeah. and they actually, in the book, he, uh, Harry Powell is a Christian reverend in the film. They specifically at the, at the dialogue between uh, him and Ben in the prison cell where, Oh, the good Lord, we have the religion that we've worked out just between the two of us. Okay. He's he's yeah. like it's pretty good. Explicitly not really Christian. Heretical. Uh but that didn't mm. really help. So this film uh was originally released as a double feature with uh a- another film. Mm. It was a B feature to that film. Uh it didn't sell. Like nobody <laughs> like even though uh certain publications listed it in their top 10 of films of the year at the end of the year nobody saw the movie hmm. it completely f- flopped um Weird. because y- unardis artist refused to do any sort of publicity for the film because they saw it as an art film and they didn't know how to sell it because how do you sell it is it a thriller sort of uh it's it's kind of like a dark fairy tale sort of vibe yeah but they were like i don't i don't think we can sell kids in danger to like random people in the 50s so they in the promotional material they didn't even like mention the kids who were the main characters of the film they just didn't bring them up 
They're like, oh, yeah, there's some kids there. But really, it's about, like, Shelley Winters. And they, uh, they played it off as, like, a erotic thriller sort of thing. Oh. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah, that wasn't... Uh, yeah, that's weird. I don't... Huh. I mean, it makes sense why it flopped. Uh, do you have like a, some well, like specific information on how it got big? Okay, so I I do. Uh, but the reasons why this flops gets a bit more intri- intricate because uh, the anti-religious and sexual themes made it very controversial. The Catholic Archdiocese of Oklahoma forbid it to be distributed in the state. <laughs> That's how not watch it. Yeah, in Oklahoma. <laughs> That's what we've, like, okay, we've talked about this a decent amount. Usually, like, weird code shit, people protesting bits of movies that we've talked about. It's always the Catholics. They're like, fuck the ability to communicate within film. In this case, it wasn't just the Catholics. So the Legion of Decency gave this film a B designation for degrading marriage. The Legion of Decency is like a bad marriage in a film. It's like, oh, Uh, people will think that marriages uh, can be bad now. No, they're always good all the time. I love it. Like, okay, every time I hear somebody talk about the Legion of Decency on this podcast, I always think of like the Super Friends or like the Justice League or something like that. And it's just like this idea of them all like in this very like 50s like government building sitting around and like tights or something <laughs> like, like uh, <laughs> yeah and so legion it, of decency it wasn't just the catholics or the legion of decency the protestant film board hated it hmm. and they banned it in the city of memphis hmm. specifically memphis Weird. specifically memphis ah that makes sense that definitely did had a positive impact on memphis i'm sure that's um. that's why memphis is the last holdout of true Christianity <laughs> in the world. Because <laughs> it wasn't corrupted. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't so corrupted like, like the rest of Christianity. Uh. So the movie just just died. It, it fell into obscurity until uh, the 70s where a bunch of TV shows, TV stations would have like old film like revival blocks. They'd, mm-hmm. they'd play old films and it started growing like a cult following and because a bunch of kids would see it and they'd be like, that's a scary movie because kids are in danger in it. Like, it, it gained a reputation as being kind of scary, but also as being really good. Like, people watch it and like, that's, that's really good. good. <laughs> it's like a really good movie. And it started getting, like, noticed from some major, like, film critics of the mm-hmm. time. And they're like, this is kind of an underseen classic. And lo and behold, in in the 1970s, it was picked up and added to the Library of Congress, establishing it as like an all-time American in the 70s? classic. So that didn't take too long. Yeah. So uh, the fil- National Film Registry uh, put it in. I think uh, 73. Thanks. That's crazy. Well, yeah, it's definitely a, a pretty familiar story. Mm-hmm. We've uh, heard a few things that basically went down that same road. Yeah. It's probably we talked about it like that with like. It's Wonderful Life, basically the right. same thing, right? Yeah, I didn't, mm-hmm. but I didn't know the National Film Registry was, Registry was around back then. Mm. That's the interesting. Yeah, thing. no, uh, it was some of the early time of it. Uh, uh, other fun facts. So, did you know it used to be illegal to show American money in film? No. Yeah, you couldn't show American currency. 
you couldn't like record or photograph American currency. That's bizarre. I guess for concerns about like uh, forging, dot forging currency or something. I don't know. So everybody has it, but <laughs> all of the money, like the ten thousand dollars you see oh, hidden yeah. in the doll. <gasps> Spoilers. Whoa. Whoa. What? Uh, those are Mexican pesos. <laughs> Really? Yep. Nice. Damn pesos. Why couldn't you show? It was against the law. It's hilarious. It, it was legally forbidden to but... show American currency in film. It's not going to make yeah. sense. Uh, Laws that, don't make sense. I, I believe that has since then been redacted. Presumably. I would think yeah. so. <laughs> I'm pretty sure American dollars are in movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, so the the weirdest bit of rear projection in the film, in my opinion at least, the fishing scenes, you know, the scenes where they're on the fishing boat? Yeah. Mm-hmm. They didn't have a pond to shoot that in, so the background is rear projected. They're just sitting in a boat on a studio. That is so convincing. What? Though. It's so convincing. Oh, wait. Okay. Wow. That's awesome. That did make me think, though, how did they do the underwater shot? So the they car? took, okay, so they, they got a tank. It was actually in a tank. Oh, and so okay. one of the, yeah. uh, uh, I noticed a uh, chicken carcass noticeably laughed <laughs> uh, when they do the shot of uh, the, the grandpa just looking down into the water and it's just really clear. Yeah. Because they just, they just shot that in a tank. Okay. Uh, with with just... the side there. And they had a, um, like the, the, the face the face was actually sculpted by the same makeup artist who did Citizen uh, Kane's old age makeup. Nice. It Which was, was very good. It was yeah. very convincing. I just kind of wondered, like, oh, that's, is that her? <laughs> yeah. Nice. And so that's awesome. That that film is actually noted now. Specifically, everyone remembers that shot. Yeah. That shot of like underwater with like the reeds and everything, and you see like the slit across her throat because. At the time, you wouldn't show that slit in the throat. You'd leave it just at, like, the grandpa sitting there drunk being like, (sighs) she's sitting there in the water floating like like she had an extra mouth. (laughs) Like, which which he says in that, and you're like, yeah, that's a great image. But also, you see it ahead of time. Yeah. You just see it there. Very nice. Kind of unheard. Yeah. I just remember, like, hearing how much difficulty they had with the underwater shot in uh, Sunset Boulevard and then seeing mm-hmm. that and being like, well, this is even more like elaborate. What's going on? Yeah. But that makes sense. Just having a tank. So to go back to a previous thought, though, mm-hmm. I have a slight correction. Ooh. Oh. Uh, Night of the Hunter was added to the film registry in 92. Oh, 92. The registry was created in 89. It's the Library of Congress, a different type, maybe. Uh, Maybe. This is, I'm, I'm this trying is to... the Library of Congress National Film Register. Oh, it's yeah. the same thing. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So that. that was uh, what was said. I, I was just taking from a lot of the extra material from hmm. the special features on the Criterion. Gotcha. Oh. So uh, that might have been just mis- some mistyping on my part because I wasn't like copying and pasting. I was pausing every like. <laughs> seven seconds to like type down new pieces of information right no that's how it is with those Uh, but that does make it actually very early on for that because it started in 89 and they released 25 films every year that they add into it Mm -hmm. um so if it was in 92 that's like you know the fourth year or whatever of of the the registry which is which is pretty quick yeah um a lot of the ones that we've covered ended up getting inducted in that first year yeah um 
but that's I don't know. It's interesting. I'm glad that it it yeah. Yeah, it well, itself up to the reputation that it deserves. The tragedy of it is that everyone wishes Charles Layton like directed another film, but he he had his heart and soul in this film, and when it bombed, it crushed him. So he just just didn't direct ever again. And about half a decade later, he wound up dying from um, huh. from being old. He he was Dang. he he was born a while ago. He was born in 1899. Yeah. Like Hitchcock. Yeah. Oh. So. Who's that? I don't know. <laughs> this is some guy. Some nobody that no one knows. We haven't covered any of his movies on this podcast before. So like, who cares? <sighs> probably made some movies sometime. He's probably know. fucking dumb. He's probably, yeah. <laughs> some <laughs> some dumb Brit. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say he's British. <laughs> Alfred, I mean, Just like, seriously, kidding. gotta be British. Or are we? Or are we? Um, all right. Well, do we have any any kind of final wrapping up thoughts? Uh, rankings, it. ratings, general feelings, conclusions. Movie's good. Movie's yeah. good. Movie's pretty. Is very and pretty. Interesting uh, for all of the above reasons. Definitely, yeah. definitely cool. recommend that you watch. Magnificent Ambersons then oh, because yeah. it's Magnificent Ambersons is like if you did Gone with the Wind in an hour and a half but it was self-aware huh. and it huh. looked like this movie mm-hmm. nice. that sounds pretty good also yes. uh, if you don't mind some more problematic yeah. elements and Ooh. ableist elements Ooh. Samuel Fuller's uh, two films he did with Stanley Cortez the cinematographer from this uh, Shot Corridor and The Naked Kiss are really good. Okay. Um, nice. Just so like. you know, they're really good movies. Shot Corridor has some problems because it's sent in a mental hospital and kind of treats mental illness as like a schlocky thriller yeah. thing. Like how pretty much everything has treated yeah. mental illness before like three years ago. Yeah, I mean, it's understandable, but it's still... It's gross. It's it's still a bit gross. There's yeah. there's there's this whole thing where there's like a a black man who is brainwashed through trauma into believing he's a member of the Ku Klux Klan. It's uh, it okay. It has yeah. The Chappelle skit. Yeah, but yeah. Funny. I, I when I saw that, I was a bit curious. Was like, did, did he watch Shot Corridor? <laughs> he might have. He might just come up on his own though. It's it's uh, it's not like it's a yeah. wow. I wonder why I, no one's thought of that before. I right, do. it's yeah. very, very different contexts on those. Things, yeah, yes. <laughs> no, like they uh. won't let him have pillowcases because he keeps like cutting them with clan hoods. <laughs> oh God! It's uh, it's, I, I'm sorry. I made oh. like the last few minutes of this like really <laughs> yeah. dark. No, it's great. In uh, funny news, uh, the the film was actually gonna Night of the Hunter was gonna be censored way more because of the use of the term uh, "whores of Babylon." Huh. But they were actually able to argue the film board down because it was used in the Bible. That's so <laughs> funny. I nice. love it. Oh, That's my God. Great. Somebody should have made a protest film in that era and gotten it pushed through because, like, they only said really gross things but, like, took them from direct Bible <laughs> quotes. Yeah. Oh. Like, just this, like, awesome. dissociated, like, rant cut together from like some crazed pastor but it's just like all of the gross things like 
forcibly circumcising people or whatever. <laughs> I feel like that's something that happened in the Bible. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, it, good times. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's a good movie. It rem- remains in my head visually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. No, and just the the thing that I would, when I first discovered this film, uh, which was through Robert Ebert's The the Great Movies, mm. it was just there, and it had like a picture from Robert Mitchum chasing kids up the stairs from the cellar, and I was like, I need to see this movie. Nice. I sang the like hymn that mm-hmm. the preacher would sing just all the time. Yeah, that's great. So... <laughs> But I didn't realize that 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 hymn was invented for this film. Wait, what? It was invented for this film because they didn't want to give (laughs) any validity to the preacher's (laughs) like use of religion. Possibly be true. Yeah, it was. Are you kidding me? Yeah, no, it didn't exist beforehand. Okay, so, um, (sighs) my stepmother when she had kids, right? Uh-huh. Oh. That's the lullaby she'd sing them to sleep with. Oh, fuck. Very what? similarly. Like, I, mean, I, I don't believe that that is, was created for this film because if so, that's incredibly funny that she's lulling kids to sleep by singing this oh, song. Dear. No, they were very specific about that fact that the I... preacher wasn't singing a real hymn. Huh. And the remix, oh, what? remix they do with like uh, when they're... St- the grandma sitting on the porch with the shotgun and they're singing uh, to each other. Yeah. She's like, leaning on Jesus, uh-huh. leaning on Jesus. That's that's also like invented for the film. Okay, I'd never heard that one before, but I yeah. definitely heard Robert Mitchum's one a million oh. times. Yeah. Well, it's <laughs> oh. memorable. It, it has become a part of the culture and you just assume it's hmm. been there forever. But no, Dang. it was invented for this movie that not enough people have seen. That's uh, it's so weird. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Uh, wow that's incredible um well okay geez i don't even know where to go from there that's life changing it's great um it's a good movie i give it four and a half stars i'll put it in probably somewhere in my top 10 maybe of the movies we've covered because it's good pardon me what do you Uh, think i also give it four and a half stars it's a it's just i don't know it it's just kind of it's just kind of good. Just it's fun. Good. It's it's one of the more like I feel like easy to watch movies we've seen, but like still has a lot of interesting stuff going on. Yeah, like, it's just a good time. You can watch it with your friends. Mm-hmm. You can the, watch it with your well, friends. That's, what I did, that's so yeah. true. <laughs> yeah, the first wow. time. Wow. Uh, as someone, the only person here who has seen this film, mm-hmm. uh, more than five times. Uh, <laughs> The first, <laughs> I mean, every time you see it, the film feels shorter. The first time <laughs> you see it, it feels really long. It's yeah. only an hour and a half. It's not like a long movie, but because halfway through it goes really just kind of ethereal and yeah. like, oh, they're floating down the river and it just breaks the continuity of action so harshly and yeah. makes the film feel like three hours. Yeah. Like I the think first I, time you see it, I think that was it. Like, I, I think I didn't expect it to transition into like a completely different setting basically. Yeah. And so when that was happening, I was like, wait, is it, is it ending? And then it was like, Oh wait, no, this is just like a whole extra like section. And it was kind of weird, but 
it was good still for sure didn't yeah. ruin anything at all but i was like whoa this does feel weirdly long even though it's not at all it, it's the i don't know where they're going yeah. with this syndrome where you're just sitting there i don't know where they're yeah what's happening now what wait what what's going on mm-hmm. this isn't like a typical movie structure i don't know how this movie's supposed to end i guess oh man harry gets shot maybe yeah <laughs> yeah I, I don't know. oh that was so funny though when he just like <laughs> panics for like <gasps> kind of out of nowhere and, and he, he like, runs and away he runs and... it's like oh all right <laughs> bye yeah uh, yeah that was interesting that's fun. It's a good performance yeah mm-hmm, for sure cool okay i feel like i can we can maybe wrap it up for this week that's a good theme all right thanks guys for listening to the podcast as we say just realized at the end when it's the time at the end of the show where i say we're ending and then hunter has to try to find a quote from the movie because he can't remember anything from movies I, i love the fact that we're just not going to explain at all why like Hannah isn't in this episode. I know, I realized it's just, that we didn't. It, it's just that. going to people go into this and they're just going to be like, why is, why is Hannah yeah. not here? Yeah, she's who's busy. This, I who's don't this know, other right. weirdo? She's, just, she's out for this week at least. And yeah. it's just, you know, we, we, we were going to have Aiden on anyway, so it's great. It's just, and you know, it worked out. Uh, yeah. We'll, we'll sort things out. Uh, yeah. Next week seems like it would be a movie Hannah would like. I, th- I would expect so that she will be on, she'll be on for the next one. episode. Yeah. 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 Cool. Thanks for listening, I, guys. As we do when we end the podcast, and I have <gasps> to say the thing. I found, okay, the top quote on the IMDb page actually has a mildly funny story from my watching experience. <laughs> yeah, go. Uh, so it's, uh, it's a hard world for little things, which is the quote that uh, yeah. comes after the part where the owl comes down and like, Snatches the bunny, right? Is yeah. that what it is? Um I got I got in in, in joke trouble for that. Um because it was really funny oh, because no. I was watching it and for some reason I just thought of that last of us clip where she's like, That's the cutest fucking thing I've ever seen in my oh, life. Yeah, right. And then she and then it gets shot with an arrow and she's like oh. <laughs> Like that's all I could think of, just like watching the bunny get so you you know, taken. So I was laughing at like while that scene was uh. happening and Keely got so mad at me. <laughs> you know, like not I guess legitimately, but like, you know, bashing me be like, this is like a, a scene that's like good and you're laughing at it. And I'm like, yeah. And I had to like explain myself later. And she, hadn't seen, she hadn't seen <laughs> She hadn't clip. seen it? Yeah, she hadn't seen the clip. Wow. Oh, so. I hadn't seen that clip. That was fun. Oh, really? I, I spent all that time back open <laughs> watching that clip, watching this movie for the fifth time. And watching the made for TV 1991 remake. It, don't watch the 1991 remake of Night of the... Please, <laughs> yeah. for the love of God, don't watch it. Uh, ooh. I don't know why I went for that one. I don't know. But I think the pod... Oh, well. I think, I think that's it. Like I'm a person, I have obligations and responsibilities.
I've kind of noticed that have handful shoes of times, and I haven't really taken advantage of that. That's yeah. true. It's important being being clean, being dressed, being you know getting you getting your makeup on if you're that kind of person. Uh, having your area clean, like mm-hmm. having the room clean, changes all of everything, and my brain works when all mm-hmm. when the room is clean. And I'll find I'll be writing an essay, I'll be working on something, I'll be like, ah, everything around me is dirty. I'm literally incapable of doing anything right now. I think subconsciously I I need my 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 room to be dirty because whenever I clean it, it almost immediately goes back to a certain level of dirty, but it never gets worse than that. It it doesn't like get progressively worse. It just gets to a level and it stays at that level until I decide to clean it. And I I think my brain just likes it at that level. Maybe you should just get used to like keeping it clean. Like this is a controversial statement that your parents probably would have told you when you were six. But yeah. if you keep your room clean, you put something away after you use it. You what? never gotta clean your room again. Well, I a big problem of that is I I need to burn everything I own. No, I need I need to burn because I don't I don't need it. I just it, need to burn it. And you, to be fair, you also don't really have space for the amount of things you have. No, I don't. Like, there's not like a very like you need to get some sort of organization system going. I own like almost 200 Blu-rays slash DVDs, and, and they're just everywhere. You have them piled. Some of them in your closet. I I have them piled everywhere, along with books I've never read and or also books I've half read those, and like, just forgotten. Rows and and rows of dusty martini glasses. I don't know yeah. if you still have those there, but Oh yeah, no, I still got those. They're they're filled with spare change. And also that, that so painting much of the dog with tits. I it's, don't it's like It's a the nursing dog. dog. I don't like the tit dog. It some some somebody painted that for their grandmother. It has a plaque on it. I don't know. The tit dog is not good. Don't <laughs> I this is we've talked about this. If if we ever like get a place and move and stuff, there needs to be somewhere that that thing goes that I don't ever have to see it. Yeah, it'll be right next to to Malcolm because nobody except me likes a humanoid male figure staring at them from the corner while they sleep. <laughs> yeah, I'm not massively into it. I had a roommate that had like this like 3D poster of like the human body with all of its weird things on the mm. wall and like skeleton whatever looking yeah. facing directly at me. Yeah. I couldn't handle it, actually. I mean, there were lots of things about that situation that <laughs> arguably I couldn't handle, mm. but that was a big one. When he came in carrying that thing, I was like, this is going to be a rough year. And I was right. Anyway, the fun thing is, I think everybody now at school in my in my university, I won't, pe- Americans say college all the time, but then people are like, oh, just college, not university. Just and I'm like, wait, uni. no, I mean university. Yeah. So we should just say uni. At my uni, yeah. they know that I record this. Mm-hmm. They also know the, what the topic is. However, what they don't expect is that we open with talking about dog tits. Like that's something... Are, they don't, they have we been recording this whole time? Yeah, they wouldn't <gasps> expect that this Guys. is explicit. This is a cold open. So cold, <laughs> you didn't even know. That's how cold. It's more like very stealth cool. open. You didn't see me like lean down there and press the button. I did it. I thought we were just waiting for like people to finish showering yeah. and dryers to finish going. Fortunately, no. You have to no. deal with it as it is. I'm ready. We're good. Okay. Put um, the tit dog over my bed. 
on the ceiling. Oh, you really don't want that. <laughs> the line work is surprisingly just, sloppy. You just, you're just... <laughs> Just everything with tits has to be over you, doesn't yes. it? Just wanted, I just wanted to make you uncomfortable. Bestiality <laughs> on top of everything else. On top of actually having some sort of... I don't know. You're problematic in my brain only. And well, I, okay, I think more people have problems with bestiality than just me. I think most people have problems yeah, with bestiality. Yeah. Hunter, oh, you're canceled. You're canceled. Oh, man. Uh, anyway... Uh, welcome to the movie.